Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to this week's interview from High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PersisGrowing.com. This week's interview is with the host of one of my personal favorite podcasts called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, and this guy is named Ben Bolin. He's a super cool guy, and he has a super cool show, and it's really awesome to be able to get him onto the show and chat with him for a little while. I mean, he's here for about an hour and a half. We just talk about uh, the conspiracy behind cannabis being prohibited for so long. We talk about cannabis in general, go off on some tangents, you know how we roll. But anyway, super cool interview, real friendly guy. And if you like this sort of thing, if you like conspiracies, then check out his podcast. Just search for Stuff They Don't Want You To Know upon whichever network you get your podcasts from and you'll find it and you'll no doubt enjoy it. There's loads of episodes, loads of different topics. So go and check it out. Uh, but for now, I'll leave you with the interview and I'll get back to you after this and try and encourage you again to go and check out Ben's podcast. We'll see you in a bit. Hello, hello. hello. <laughs> ben, how's it going? Hey, hey, doing well, guys. How are you? <laughs> all good. I've got this, this nice little catchphrase I've been working on all day. You ready for this? You know, oh, I yeah. am Mackie, this is Monkey, and you are Ben, and this is Stuff. They don't want you to grow. <laughs> oh, oh, check that out! Right? <laughs> Nailed it! Nailed nice, it, man. Friend. Yes, yeah. man. It's it's a pleasure to speak to you. I've been a big fan of your show for a long time. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to get a chance to align the schedules and uh, hang out. This is cool. Also, for anybody listening, as we record this, I want to compliment you, Mackie and Monkey, on your awesome. Uh, avatars, the thumbnails, those are kick ass. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Nice, thanks, yeah. man. Because obviously, what we do is illegal. Where we are, it's illegal. In some places, it's illegal. You're allowed to grow your own cannabis and not suffer any consequences. But for us, we're not allowed to. So we have to hide behind these avatars and can't put our faces up. Yeah, one day we'll be out there in the open for everybody to see, but not today. Mm-hmm. Hey, today is not that day, but one day soon, hopefully. Uh, that's that's something that I think is. You know, if you told me a few decades back that the U.S. would be in its current very silly situation regarding mm-hmm. marijuana prohibition and decriminalization, I wouldn't have believed you. Mm-hmm. I also probably would have been high during that conversation. I would have been like, <laughs> I would say, no way is no way is that going to happen. The people are too uptight, you know, and law enforcement makes too much money with mm-hmm. drug laws and the war on drugs. But thankfully that seems to be changing. You know, it's so weird that in, in the U S and you guys know this uh, in the U S you can totally go in and buy something in Portland, Oregon, that will put you in the federal pen in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's unsustainable. And I think the tide is turning. So I hope that happens across the pond as well. Right, man. It's, it seems to be taking such a long time over here in the UK. Mm. It's a mm. damn shame. But considering you're from a conspiracy podcast, you know, the yeah. stuff they don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think there's some kind of conspiracy behind why cannabis is still illegal in so many places? Absolutely. Are you kidding? Yes. Let's get to it. Okay. So okay, here we go, guys. Yeah, he's yeah. probably done all the research and everything. Man. <laughs> well, well, I can't, 
necessarily speak to the United Kingdom in a lot of depth, but I can I can nail down some of the conspiracies and the beliefs that led to prohibition of marijuana in the U.S. So you know that for a long time, or I think most people know that for quite a while, uh, marijuana was not considered a big deal. In the early days of the United States, in fact, uh, founding fathers, they're called, you know, the, mm -hmm. the folks who made the Declaration of Independence and all that jazz, uh, a lot of them grew hemp. Uh, it wasn't the kind that you could smoke. But uh, it was, you know, it was just a very useful crop. And in the early days of the colonies and uh, the early days of uh, the nascent American state, uh, mm -hmm. the people were in some cases required to grow hemp on their land. Uh, there was also we recently did an episode about U.S. presidents and substance abuse. And you would be surprised by how many early U.S. presidents were in their letters. They actually said this kind of stuff. They were like, Weed is great. You know, I'm so high right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There was one. Um, oh, I can't remember. I'd have to look back at the episode. Uh, but there was one guy who. Hang on, let me actually you know what? Let's actually pull this up. This is going to be interesting. OK, yeah, here we go. Uh, so James Monroe was the 15th president of the U.S. And he picked up a love of hashish when he was in France. And he nice. smoked it constantly until his death in his early 70s. <laughs> James Madison. Oh, this is the guy. James Madison was also on board with everyone's favorite plant. He said, he said, you know, weed. He didn't use the word weed, of course, that slang right. comes later. But he said, he said, you know, weed gives me the insight I need to create America. And does that not sound like something? we would say if we were high definitely i was just thinking that that's <laughs> the biggest stoner would say definitely yeah, i know a website <laughs> that was built powered by weed you know what i mean mm. <laughs> yes uh so we we see this going through uh the like we see the acceptance of marijuana in one form or another in the halls of power in the early days of the u.s andrew jackson franklin pierce zachary taylor they all had uh, two things in common. Well, three things. Uh, they were former military men. They later each became president. And when they were in the military, they all got high with their troops. Franklin Pierce once said, he's like, you know, getting high with the other soldiers is the only good thing about war. And <laughs> this is like, this is something a lot of obviously kids in grade school don't get taught mm -hmm. in the u.s because <laughs> something changed you know no, and like, then woodrow uh, wilson rolled up a fatty and passed it around <laughs> <laughs> i you know what i wouldn't give to to be a fly on the wall for that one or to be in rotation no honestly i would go in rotation i think but uh but so we have to clear up some conspiracies surrounding the prohibition of marijuana uh right now it's it's uh, such a weird situation because it's become something that is left up to individual U.S. states to decide. Mm -hmm. It it's been a messed up situation since the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, and then uh, that's that's where we see the moves toward prohibition, and then much much later, the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 is the thing that lumped marijuana 
in with other other substances that are much heavier and definitely much more dangerous, like heroin or methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. uh, this this original ban is. Can we can we curse on this show? Oh yeah, mate. Uh, say, say what you like. Yeah, sure, yeah. man. Go okay. for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted to check. All right. So the one of the primary reasons for marijuana being uh, prohibited here in the U.S. is due to this guy named Harry J. Anslinger. Mm, Anslinger. Oh, yes, we know him. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and he is bad he weed is, man. Bad weed. Yeah. Yeah. He is an asshole. Um, I believe the technical term for him is a real pill. Uh, P.O.S. <laughs> So he uh, <clears throat> he was <laughs> concerned that marijuana might topple the nation's existing social order. He liked the way things were uh, back in the day. He was a straight white male, so stuff was working out for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he wasn't really aware of a lot of the history of his own country. Marijuana wasn't even considered common in the U.S., like the kind you would smoke with containing THC. Uh, it, it wasn't really common until uh, a significant number of Mexican nationals fled Mexico for the U.S. during the Mexican Revolution. Anslinger mm -hmm. didn't know about this. He, he didn't care. Uh, his main thing is, at first, he was trying to get all these scientists to agree with his statement that marijuana was dangerous, and none of them did. They were like, what, what's going on with you, dude? Is this your thing? Why are you so myopic? Uh, he then, because he couldn't, uh, he couldn't make it illegal based on a, a legitimate medical concern or a health mm. concern, he went to racism yeah. because that was ultimately his thing. And I, I feel like you guys know this, but mm -hmm. the, reason, the reason marijuana is still illegal in so many parts of the U.S. today is because this Anslinger guy their ass slinger, as you called them, mm -hmm. uh, got, <laughs> got really upset about about the possibility of interracial relationships. Yeah, that's right. He didn't want uh, black men having sex with white women. Yeah, so. yeah. He uh, he was he was very against it. Uh, and if you read like different statements and uh, the way that he frames it, it sounds like he's got a personal thing going on. Yeah. Well, yeah I, it, it, apparently, he, it, it was him, wasn't it, Monkey? Who uh, smoked some weed, turned into a bat, flew around the room, and then turned back into a human. Yeah, that was his <laughs> testimony in front of Congress. I mean, my gosh, it's on the record. <laughs> yeah. It's, Surely uh, the military would have, you know, tried to utilize that somehow. Oh, shit. I'm still looking for that strain. <laughs> if anybody ever out there finds bat weed, please, high on home yes. ground, right here. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Give me a little piece of that. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's so odd to me about it is, of course, you you guys know this and a, and a lot of the folks listening along with us today are aware of this. But the vast majority of people in the U.S. have no idea. And, mm -hmm. you know, the vast majority of people in the U.S., thankfully, also probably wouldn't consider themselves racist. If you went to uh, if you went to people and you had like a law banning some other uh, some other substance. If you're like, okay, hey, we're gonna make artichokes illegal because um, you know we we think it makes gay people get married. Then, <laughs> then oh man, they would got, say like, shit, I gotta get rid of my artichokes right now. Then right, <laughs> they would say that's ridiculous. So that's uh, I do have an idea, and maybe you guys can help me out with this for how marijuana became uh, illegal in 
other countries, especially in the the so-called Anglosphere, right? The members well, of over Bada. in the over in yeah. the UK here, it started in uh, 1926, I think it was. It was like oh, wow. 10 years before the 1937 when Aslinger did his thing, but Ooh. it was just because it was associated with opium dens. That makes sense. Yeah. So they just knocked it out in one fell swoop, huh? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, okay. and then it's just uh, been illegal since then, really. And then specifically in 1972, we had the Misuse of Drugs Act, which was created. And then they just started prosecuting, prosecuting people for the possession of cannabis. And this is what we call it as well. We call it cannabis because that's uh, the, the word marijuana is one of the words that was made up for weed because it sounds Mexican. Yep. Right. Right, like yeah. Hagen Dazs was. I don't know if you guys know that story. Yeah, so yeah, that's great. The guy, yeah, the guy who made Hagen Dazs wanted to uh, wanted to have a word that sounded kind of uh, posh and like vaguely Northern European, but he didn't speak any of those languages. <laughs> Jeez. So, so, yeah, it's, it uh, works, it, man. It works. It does work. It does work, and and you absolutely nailed. It. I'm glad you brought up that point too about terminology and nomenclature um there's also you know i think one of the the bigger issues that this ties into and one that's done a lot of intergenerational damage to people whether there are people who get caught up in the criminal system or whether there are people who have medical conditions that could be mitigated to some mm -hmm. degree right by mm -hmm. the use by the use of cannabis uh there's a lot of damage being done by Richard Nixon's uh, war on drugs. Mm -hmm. one, one of the war on drugs. Let's go ahead and add uh, that right in on, on top of everything. Right, right. They were like, you know what? We should have a war. On. Uh, it, it's like, well, edit me here if this is too weird. But I always um, picture like a boardroom, right? With, um, with the military industrial congressional complex. And those guys are hanging out. And they're just, you know, they're having a little postmortem about the last conflict and how much money they may have made and blah, 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 this, that, and the third. And then someone goes, you know, gentlemen, the problem with the wars these days is they keep ending, yeah. you know, and, and we've got to get those Q4 numbers up. And then <clears throat> someone had the bright idea where they said, well, what if we just wage a war on an idea instead of something physical? Let's just wage a war on the idea of poverty. And that didn't go very far. That didn't mm -hmm. get votes. Mm -hmm. uh, so they said, let's wage a war on the idea of drugs. And that is, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have this in your neck of the woods, but uh, one of the funniest things that happens to a lot of U.S. students, or at least the part I, I grew up in, is uh, you'll have, they have a program called D.A.R.E., yeah uh, <laughs> monkey nose oh yeah go ahead man just keep going i, I had, a, had a laugh there Couldn't hold myself. Let's, let's let's freestyle this one together um because uh wait mackie first have you heard of this uh, no it doesn't ring a bell i I, oh. I I imagine that the first d by the only d <laughs> means drugs yeah oh yep. yes. On the so, yes just yeah just one word not no s drug drug and drug um no that's that's it that's a far i don't know what the r is going to be uh it is drug abuse resistance education that's Oof. technically what it is and so uh i i feel like uh monkey you may also be have been part of that program but uh <laughs> what, what, I, have, uh, I have a few yeah. opinions on it let's put it that way you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah this is it's funny because this is something we ran into um 
a lot of us as kids, at least the way it happened at my school, once once a year or twice a year, something like that, at least once a year, you would be herded into a gymnasium or the library or whatever, and there would be some law enforcement officers, typically sheriffs and deputies, and uh, they would also have, I guess, whoever pulled the short straw had to dress up in a costume. They had to wear a mascot costume. It's a dog mm-hmm. in a trench coat. Uh, <laughs> McGruff, the McGruff. crime dog. Mm-hmm. McGruff, the crime dog. And so this, the dog would show up and tell you how drugs were bad. And then, okay, uh, yeah. <clears throat> and then, well, here's the kicker. The, the quote unquote, the human folks, would open up like this tri-folded wooden case. And in that case, you would see samples of every single drug they wanted to teach you about. And they would pass them around the room. What? Tell the, yeah, tell these children how these drugs were smoked, what they looked like, uh, and then, you know, tell you not to do them. Now, so hold on. They're, they're like, just wait a second. Like cocaine in a bag being no, passed no, around no, 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 the room. No. Or something, just something that looks something like something that looked like cocaine right. in a bag. No, no, they didn't actually pass it around because, hey, honestly, they, they wouldn't have gotten it. You back. Know what I mean? It wouldn't have got <laughs> to the end of the line, would it? They'll know. They pass this around. <laughs> who's got it? I don't know. Now wait 15 <laughs> minutes and you'll know who's got it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this, like, this is interesting because uh, it. I, I guess I understand the rationale is like if we can make children aware of dangers. You know, mm-hmm. and there there are dangers to a lot. Of, like, you can consume a lot of substances in a way that makes them harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but education is the key to stopping it. You know. Well, maybe I don't know. They they didn't take notes. They didn't really workshop this. They just yeah. kind of went with it. But uh, but you know, when you when you imagine kids who have that, who who are taught in that way, then they're not. I, I don't know. It's just really, it's a back assward way to go about it, I think. And I say that as a guy who still has two of his dare shirts. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they would give, you could earn your dare shirt, you know, mm-hmm. you, could, you could sign the pledge and earn yeah, well, your But what did you have to do? You, you had to had sit in a room with a bag of weed for an hour. And if you didn't touch the weed, you'd get a t-shirt. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a virginity <laughs> pledge. You have to kind of pledge that you'll never touch the stuff. And then you're going to be a good dare person so you can wear the shirt. But look, God, the, uh, my kids went through it in Georgia. I don't, I'm uh-huh. no longer in Georgia right now, so I can talk about that, you know. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, over there, the, the meetings would be held in the parking lot of, of the school because mm. the sheriff drives up in the confiscated Corvette with all the dare logos emblazoned across it. And they tell this was seized from a drug dealer and this can happen to you. I oh mean, my it, God. <laughs> Yeah, they had the dare cars. Um, sometimes Excuse me, officer. How long was did he have it before it was seized? <laughs> <laughs> but the kids really thought my kids at least thought that this was like way over the top. Um, my kids have always been just tell me the facts and let me make my own decision. And mm-hmm. both of my kids came and looked at this and said, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, was I the only person who later in college tried to buy a McGruff costume online. <laughs> I would say probably not. That's what stayed with me because uh, 
you know, it, like the horrors of addiction and, uh, and those other things, which are valid points, they didn't mm-hmm. stick with me as much. I guess I guess it worked because I never I, I never really had an interest in, in a lot of that stuff to begin with. Um, I'm sure there are responsible ways to do it. And there's medicinal value to a lot of these things, which mm-hmm. doesn't get talked about. But but um, how cool would it be, man? I don't know. Like if I saw somebody just strolling up in the McGruff outfit today. I would wonder if I was high and just forgot that I got high. Well, you know, if he was on drugs, he'd be one of you. Wouldn't he? Uh, yeah, that'd be well, amazing. Let me see if I can jog your memory. Take a bite out of crime. That is it. That's oh, it. God. That's, it sounds so American. You know? it, it, it was, it's man. Curious, it was, yeah. it was just, I mean, it was Smokey Bear, McGruff. Yeah. All oh, yeah. Only you things. can prevent forest fires. Exactly. Yes. There you go. Yes. Uh, did you th- at this point, I want to ask Mackie, did you have any like in in the UK? Uh, is there anything like that, uh, like that kind of education program? No, really, when I was a kid, no, we didn't have anything like that. They would teach you in in lessons in school rather than having uh, the police officers come out and show you shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a strange one, really. Uh, drugs aren't a major thing here in the UK for youngsters. It's alcohol because alcohol is so readily available for everybody. Mm. And I suppose cannabis is now. Mm. And that's what kids would rather go for because, you know, they think it's safer when it is anything but safer than the other drugs. Oh, yeah. I'm saying this as a guy who uh, who loves, loves to have a good beer and a shot at the end of the week or something. But uh, mm. But, yeah, alcohol... It's it's funny, too, if we go back to the history of the U.S., well, basically every study comparing alcohol to uh, cannabis or, you know, anything you want to call it, any kind of strain of it, all the tests have been done and alcohol is by far the more dangerous Mm -hmm. of the two. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so weird to me that prohibition of alcohol went hilariously wrong because the, that, that's yeah. what it is it's because of that prohibition shit it, it was mm-hmm. so easy for people to make alcohol in in the basement they just have to mix a few things in and let it sit there for a while and it was too hard to regulate that so they couldn't keep it prohibit, prohibited but it was easier to keep cannabis prohibited because you needed certain gear to grow it and if you was going to grow it outdoors it would smell a lot easy to find so it was mm-hmm. easy to keep them drugs restricted. And I think that's the only reason why they let alcohol out. It's like just too difficult for them to keep that uh, scheduled scheduled drug. Oh, that's yeah. I mean, that's a good point because you just get down to physical requirements. Like you said, the gear, uh, the footprint of uh, a grow operation. And I'm not an expert mm-hmm. in this, but I, you know, I know that there are other considerations that don't, like it's more nuanced and more sophisticated Mm -hmm. than making bathtub hooch but you you can make some really good moonshine too i think i'm required Mm -hmm. to say that because i have family in appalachia but (laughs) yeah but uh but you know also if we're talking about just prohibition in general and why it is ultimately always doomed to fail uh there i i want to give give you guys one historical anecdote and then i want to um I want to expand it to other prohibition issues and why I think prohibition ultimately always fails. So first, the anecdote. Uh, we did an episode on the for this. I can't remember which show this was on. Uh, but once upon a time, as I'm sure 
Monkey, you and Mackie know, uh, the president of the United States during alcohol prohibition in like 1926 decided to poison the shit out of alcohol knowing people yeah, would die. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's some fucked up shit, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Do you also remember the, uh, the or read about the Paraquat spraying of marijuana crops in, in uh, Mexico that that weed got sold back into the United States? It was like, hey, thanks, U.S. government for this kind of crap. Wow, I, heard, I, I heard about it. it's It's strange. So like what, that's an excellent example too. And those things that we both just mentioned, those are true stories. The These draconian measures mm-hmm. to stop people from doing something like, like ingesting a substance, it's very, very difficult to get past human ingenuity because mm-hmm. innovation always outpaces legislation. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about the bleeding edge of machine learning or whether you're talking about a couple of people who say, what, why is cereal illegal? I guess I have to figure out how to make cereal. Like mm-hmm. people will yeah. do that. People are so smart. Uh, this, okay, so that's that's the problem. First off, there's not really a way to get people not to do that stuff if they want to. But this goes to something bigger. <clears throat> so the real reason, I, I think this is fair to say, the real reason that marijuana is uh, increasingly decriminalized and ultimately uh, will be de facto decriminalized across the majority of the nation is because when California and also Colorado changed their laws and people were able to go into business selling marijuana that was also getting taxed, Mm -hmm. they made money hand over fist. And if there's one thing that gets either the the far right uh, and the like left or whatever you want to call them in, in the US, if there's one thing they come together on, it's money. Mm-hmm. it's so, america right <laughs> yeah it's america. money talks man money talks you know uh, so i'm thinking all we have to all we have to do for people who are opponents of prohibition is we just have to see that financial argument work out and it needs to happen sooner rather than later like i, I know we talk about um we talk about uh, primarily cannabis right but mm-hmm. we also need to talk about the important research into hallucinogens oh yeah that mm-hmm. has been stymied mm-hmm. for more than two generations not because the science was wrong but because people weren't allowed to experiment with it due to these outdated uh puritanical views yep. about people having fun you were not allowed to expand your consciousness no what kind of crazy talk is that not without <laughs> my permission at least yeah mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. terrible it's terrible the shit we have to suffer it's, and especially when alcohol is a legal substance as long as that's happening they have no argument against anything else because yeah, alcohol mm-hmm. is deadly you drink too much of that shit and it will kill you yep yeah and yeah. it has long long long-term health effects when you drink too much of it you know it can be enjoyed in moderation just like anything else can but that's the same for cocaine i don't know about heroin that's like hardly addictive as shit that's something about so is alcohol and tobacco you know each to their own man and putting these restrictions on people it obviously doesn't work people still have easy access to all of these drugs and with it being illegal like it is in so many places all these drugs it's dangerous to the consumer 
the consumer is at risk because of this. If it was properly regulated and properly legalized all over the world, but you know, especially across the USA and Europe, then there'd be much less deaths because it wouldn't be laced with fentanyl when people are unexpected. The dosage would be the same so people don't get confused by shit like that. And it'd be taken in safer situations. It's it's uh, exactly. with it being illegal, it's, it's a massive detriment to the whole thing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's 100% agreed. I mean, at that point, we also have to ask ourselves, is it, I don't know the answer to this question, but at that point, given that the, the logic that you just walked through, you have to ask yourself what the end game for those kind of policies are. Mm-hmm. What is the <clears throat> what is considered the optimal outcome on the part of the people making the laws and the part of the people enforcing the laws? It doesn't necessarily seem to be the safety of the people affected by those laws, mm-hmm. right? Like if you you know if you treat if you uh, we see um, oh what's it called harm reduction centers in mm-hmm. in North America, in the U.S. and Canada, where they are genuinely saving people's lives because they're treating addiction as a medical condition, Mm -hmm. as an illness, rather than some sort of uh, violation of a Mm -hmm. social taboo and criminal issue. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I think uh, that's, that's what I think makes me question the motivation of the, of these current prohibition laws. I don't think they're, maybe like yeah they probably started because jerks like Ansinger are upset that america is trying to live up to its name of being a melting pot he was really pissed about that Mm -hmm. he was so mad about it but you can't we can't really put all of the blame on him there's a whole line of anslingers down through history who have been on board with just ridiculously silly stuff mm-hmm. and they're they're not unintelligent in many cases so they have to know these plans don't work they have to i that's why i question the motivation like you know the uh like what will we have the dea and the atf here right in the in the u.s they enforce a lot of uh drug policies and they get a lot of money for it mm-hmm. so I, I mean, the prison, uh, I, I feel like I'm just word salading, guys. I don't want to just start throwing out <laughs> keywords, but why not? Prison you know, as long, system. The, as long as you don't use long words, all right? Keep it simple. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Oh, no. Shit. Oh, it just blew my mind, man. <laughs> uh, but. I, I mean, I think we're all I think we're all on the same page. And I don't understand why this becomes a partisan opinion i don't think it is a political thing to say it has to be either way as well because there's i mean there's plenty of money to be made from the tax revenue when people are buying cannabis legally but there's also plenty of money to be made from keeping it illegal like when they can walk into somebody who's been growing cannabis and find some plants in their house and be like oh we're taking all this because it's associated with drugs what there's a specific word for it um like profiteering from crime act or some shit like that like because you're associated with drugs we assume as police officers that all of this you have all of your assets were bought to you by illegal activity so we're taking it all and we're selling it at an auction and making a fucking killing out of it 
You know, yeah. like when they seized the Corvette, who did they seize it from and what was it for? It's mm-hmm. because of drugs, because of drugs. It was it was taken from the guy because he was associated with drugs. So then the police get a Corvette. They sell that off at a raffle, 20 G's or something. So it's scoop, mm-hmm. scoop, easy money for them. And we had an interview as well with a, a few of a couple of police officers now, and they would say cannabis is an easy step into prosecuting somebody like I smell cannabis. Do I now smell I cannabis can in your vehicle? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we search a vehicle and then they'll find something else, which, uh, you know, like no insurance or no, no registration. They find a bullet casing on the floor or all these different things that can happen just because they smell cannabis. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an unfortunate reality of law enforcement, at least in the, in the U S is that uh, the process of detaining someone has so many so many purposely vague Mm. aspects to it that if someone wants to detain you they will overwhelmingly they'll be able to do so they'll be able to Mm. find a reason Uh, we we should also talk about you know the um the phrase that we use for those repossessed cars and stuff is civil forfeiture. And <laughs> I, I love that. I'm, I'm located, uh, by the way, monkey, I'm located in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh boy. And yeah. So I, I know the, the laws here are, um, a little bit more on the extreme side. You know, there are a lot of States that have similar laws like this, but in the state of Georgia, law enforcement can seize, whatever they want through civil forfeiture that could be money that could be guns that could be a car and in georgia get this you don't need to be convicted of a crime for this to happen mm-hmm. it has so they can the- just come along and just steal your shit well let me explain yeah. a little bit yeah. about that man <laughs> They have to, it's they, not it's not quite that cut and dried. That's the headline. <laughs> yeah. You remember he yeah, had that's a, the headline. Yeah, he started with probable cause, and in Georgia they can pretty much yeah, they can dream up probable cause pretty easily. You know, well right. as we said, I smell cannabis. Mm-hmm. Now you have probable cause, mm-hmm. and they, that can just be their imagination. As far as that yeah. is, huh? Well, like, I know hmm. um, in the part of Georgia I was in. I mean, I seventy five runs uh, right up the. the east coast of the u.s and it used to be once upon a time when when the bulk of the supply was coming from south america and mexico that was the direct line for for drugs to come up go up north so roadblocks on that on that uh i'm not going to call them roadblocks let's say speed traps that's a good way to put it traps yeah very very common along that road Mm -hmm. what they were looking for were out-of-state license plates uh single occupancy cars and they would drum up some kind of BS charge, whatever, um, and pull you over. And again, do I smell something in the vehicle? And what mm-hmm. they were looking for was large amounts of money or large amounts of drugs. Most of the right. time they were finding money, which means that the, the uh, police department confiscates the money and the vehicle. Mm. Now, there is a process to get it back in, in you know, very state by state, but it's it's a pain it's a pain in the keister but you you described it perfectly the single occupancy uh-huh. the, the out-of-state plates it's funny because when i had been on road trips before and pulled over uh we we did sometimes get the nth degree but we really didn't have anything um anything illegal on us uh-huh. you know we we were we were broke kids right yeah. like yeah. we were like 
stressed about whether or not we would have enough money to fill up the tank on the way back. So I hear you, man. Yeah, but this uh, it, it's true, and it, it does victimize. Um, it tends to overwhelmingly victimize people toward the lower end of the socioeconomic uh, structure here, mm-hmm. because they are the people most likely to get to get jammed up by this stuff and least likely to have the time and money to pay for adequate representation in court. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's on purpose, but I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Show- I think it's on purpose as well. <laughs> yeah. I always the show about conspiracies. So uh, <laughs> maybe I'm a little biased. No, I was, I was trying to explain this to everybody who's listening. Cause I've been telling everybody for a while, you know, that having somebody on from one of my favorite shows, you know, stuff they don't want to you know conspiracy podcasts people know i like conspiracies but i'm not the i'm <laughs> yeah, not the right. kind of guy who believes in conspiracies i just i enjoy the storytelling aspect of a conspiracy theory you know it's not necessarily true but in in that cool story yeah and this is what you guys do it's not like you're there and you're like no, no lee harvey Oswald didn't kill jfk it was the cia man you know in all the, it's, it's none of that shit it's just you know a rational discussion about oh, what well, conspiracy theories are and, and uh, i enjoy listening to that kind of shit it's, well it's good. thank you i i uh like i i really appreciate you saying that mackie because the way that i've always explained it is that we apply critical thinking to Mm -hmm. what can be called conspiracy theories. We don't believe there are any dumb questions, Mm -hmm. but often what you find is that uh, a lot of these tales come about because there's a grain of truth in their origin story. And the great game of of telephone just continues as people kind of get together and humans are communicators right mm-hmm. humans like to tell yeah, good get stories. together and smoke some weed and then <laughs> you know? yeah exactly and then look what happens you get the philadelphia experiment <laughs> <laughs> right right which is the origin of cream cheese you know it's <laughs> like a... <laughs> uh and the cheese conspiracy shit mm-hmm. you know the cheese conspiracy nobody knows about a cheese conspiracy now yeah it's it, it's interesting you mentioned that because a lot of times people people have been dismissed for bringing up very disturbing, very true things. And the phrase conspiracy itself is what is called a thought terminating cliche. Usually when you hear conspiracy theory in mass media, when you hear that term, it's being used directly to dismiss something, mm-hmm. even if that's mm-hmm. true. Like keep in mind, you know, that... Um, for years, the idea that banks like HSBC were knowingly laundering a lot of money for drug cartels mm-hmm. for, for years, that was treated as a conspiracy theory because it made it sound like it, it put it in the same cognitive camp as uh, as if we were saying, you know, secretly the queen is like half alien reptile. And for some reason, we don't want people to know, even secretly, though that sounds secretly. <laughs> secretly even like that's the that's the funny part to me it's like it's like why wouldn't you want people to know that that is so fucking i mean you would not fuck with the queen if she was half lizard man no you would be like do the tongue thing can you change colors like that's that's the other thing you know like this so anyway uh so we have to be very careful about the way language is weaponized. Mm-hmm. You made the fantastic point about the origin of, uh, or the popularization of the term marijuana, right? They probably said it that way, like a pretentious person <laughs> case at Taco Bell ordering a quesadilla. Yeah, marijuana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 
Yeah, I love it, man. I love a quesadilla. Anyway, yeah. the um, the the thing about this that is so infuriating is that it works. Weaponizing language, whether you're talking about using the a term like conspiracy theory in this way or trying to dog whistle racism in something like the use of the word marijuana, it does work to great effect. Mm -hmm. And this these effects can be lasting. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, like you could almost say there have been at times conspiracies to dismiss conspiracies. Like, look at all the like. I'll tell you what, usually when I find one that is that I would say is true, that has more than a grain of truth to it, it is almost always <laughs> a couple of things. It's one, there's a group of people who already have a measure of power or influence and they want more. They just want more. Mm -hmm. and, and they're going to, you know, conspire to try to make that happen. And often like these dudes get caught all the time and they also get away all the time because in some cases they are the ones writing the laws that ju that's just true mm. the this the second one which i think is a little i'm a gallows humor guy so i think this is hilarious the second conspiracies that often happen are very powerful agencies like mm. the alphabet boys here in the u.s with very little real oversight they do some crazy shit Mm -hmm. They're like, let's give people LSD and just, you know, <laughs> see what happens. Right. Let's just let's just see what happens. And then, Nobody will find out. Yeah. What could go wrong? You know cool. what I mean? Uh, and then, you know, they they throw this guy out of a window when he's going to squeal. And now it's like, oh, somehow he jumped, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what you thought you could is, fly. Right. Yeah, sure. OK, so mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so the idea is. The idea is that these groups with very little oversight, and I'm picking on the U.S., but this happens in, in pretty much every country. Uh, they have very little oversight. They do something wild that they know was wrong, and they may rationalize it by saying it's for the greater good. But then their real conspiracy occurs when they try to cover up their mistakes, what they have done wrong either via negligence or sometimes via incompetence mm -hmm. they're like oh no one can know and then that's where they start getting caught you know like uh recently uh the you know recently uh i don't know how the pandemic was for you guys but i also had to laugh when when the u.s government came out and they didn't they didn't say aliens mm -hmm. want to be fair about that okay. but they said <laughs> they said hey hey everybody just while COVID's happening, uh, we figure we go ahead and tell you there's a bunch of shit in the sky. We don't know what's going on. It looks like it might be uh, operated by some sort of intelligence, but we don't know. We don't understand enough about physics to explain it. They said that and yeah, everybody yeah. collectively was like, ah, yeah, OK, fine. We got a lot <laughs> of stuff going on. Yeah, that's why they that's why the lockdowns happened, you see, because they wanted us to stay inside. Because then we don't get to see the sky. We don't get to see these things flying around. And don't, we don't find out the truth. Mm. <laughs> which, which again is so is so hilarious to me because that in those cases there were real um, there were real reasons for wanting to keep those some of those past investigations secret, like Project Blue Book and so on. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And then later they become declassified. And now if there is some sort of secret, secret cabal that actually does run the U.S. government, 
uh, it feels like they're a lot more chill about weed and about aliens at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe somebody retired or something. I don't know. But <laughs> but it's some... a good point. Maybe that is the case, man. They're just being grandfathered <laughs> out, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. And like the uh, the thing that got me is I was just um, doing an episode with my crew about this earlier this week. Uh, a, there's a guy named Glenn Greenwald who runs a site called the black vault and Glenn is a very, very, I haven't met him. He's very, very talented at getting a hold of classified documents. And he does it through all legal means. As far as I know, anyway, this guy, when that alien report came out, there was one report for the public. And then there was a secret or classified report. I should say for Congress, the one for the public is like nine pages Uh, It's pretty scant on details and it spends a lot of time asking for more money because it's a government document. And so like, they're like, "Uh, there's stuff we can't explain, but maybe we could with a little extra scratch. Uh, Yeah. True story. And uh, anyway, this guy, Glenn, he got a hold of a redacted version of the classified document, the one only Congress saw and it's got some weird stuff in there, but it also just reading it, man, which you can't, you can see it on uh, his website, Black Vault, but just reading it made me feel so bad for the people who have to go through there with the, uh, what do you call it? With the black highlighters. Mm-hmm. They have yeah, to go yeah. like, that's someone's job. And then you see, <laughs> you see these, uh, you can read these examples and they're hilarious, but like you could see something like a collection of beep, more than beep, over beep beep went <laughs> southwest beep. and it's like does does that not sound like a soul crushing job and they kill you afterwards probably too <laughs> right he right. knows too much he knows too much <laughs> Yeah, imagine it has to be like people they've arrested for something or they've got dirt on them. Be like, look, we're going to let you off if you just go redact that paper over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's fucking tragic, man. Imagine sitting there because they're big documents as well, thousands Mm -hmm. of pages sometimes. God. Mm -hmm. And then you'd have to go through it a couple of times in case you miss things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're very, very dry because it's government writing, which is the opposite of sexy. Uh, or opposite of a page turner often, but, mm-hmm. but you know, you taxpayer know, funded, they don't care. They'll probably pay them a shitload of money. You know, <laughs> fucking millionaire. He's got 200 million in the bank. Beautiful house. Like what you do for a living? He's like, you know, them guys who redact papers. Yeah. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> His favorite tool in life is a black marker. That's it, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carries that's, on everywhere he goes. Exactly. He carries he it everywhere everything. he goes. Oh, this can't and be he, on the menu right here. Got to take that off. I take that exactly. off. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> He's going power, man. They're like, it's like when a uh, what, like in detective films where someone's spending too much time on the job, exactly. and his boss is like, "Those markers can't leave this office, Craig." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna start doing that. No, I can't do that. I'll, I'll actually. That's what you should do. Just tell people that's your job, man. In real life, you know. So what you do? What you do? You know the guy. <laughs> I'm a redactor. <laughs> pull, out, pull out the I'm marker. Redactor. You know. You need. I'll do some freelance work. If you need anything done, let me know. You know. Here's my card, and it's redacted. It's only got your number, your name, <laughs> two initials on it. That's all it's got. <laughs> that's it. Uh, if you have to ask, then you don't need to know, right? So. This is, I mean, we're joking, but like how, how strange is, is the world that we are collectively emerging into now Mm -hmm. as 
as things begin to open up, I think a lot of people had some soul searching moments. I think a lot of people uh, learned things that they did not expect to learn. And I hope that we can take this collectively and, and really start to question some of the things that have been accepted as normal simply because they've been around for a while. Like it's not, it, it, the laws, this is the last time I'll harp on, on prohibition stuff. Uh, I don't want to sound like broken record, but if you look at the span of human civilization, laws about cannabis are a very recent thing and they're a fad and they are contradictory to everything that the cultures and people who came before thought mm -hmm. about. And cannabis. that's, that's the same with psilocybin as well and different kinds of hallucinogens yes. from plants. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. These used to be, you know, tools, used spiritually and medically for mm -hmm. lots of different cultures around the world for thousands of years, man. It's only over the last, I mean, you've got the recent blip here where we, where drugs are prohibited, but it happened again in the 14th century, I think. And then early in the, uh, around four, the year 400 or something, it's happened a couple of times in history, but mm. not many, not many, not many. It uh, always gets overturned. <laughs> yeah. Well, the majority of time, I, I, I posit that if you look back, through the span of history, the majority of the time, you'll find this stuff was is less vilified uh, or, you know, it, I always think about it this way. Like if you went back far, far back in time and then you you asked someone from an ancient civilization that has evidence of like hashish use, if you ask them, you know, are they are they worried about this substance or whatever? they would probably talk to you the way that you might talk about where the good pizza is in town. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah. it's, it wouldn't be a huge geopolitical or moral issue for them. They would just be like, Oh, I don't know. I like, uh, I like Mesopotamian Mel's hashish, but there's, you know, Sumerian Sam is is also pretty good, you know, and you got options. I'm saying, like that's you got to try the Nepalese temple balls down on First Street, bro. That's the shit. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so it's weird that it is weird that modern society, again, I think, due uh, in large part to racism and to uh, mo financial motives. It, mm -hmm. it, it's so strange that we're we've upended the natural situation of things. So I'm not trying to be sanctimonious. I'm very much a uh, do as thou wilt sort of person. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not hurting anybody, then why should anybody be interfering with you? You know Indeed. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. What are you like? I know that people, I, I know that sometimes people in the world of uh, legislation and law enforcement act like fun police but there really is no such uh no such institution and now if i'm wrong and i somehow missed that in in mm -hmm. you know the constitution or something if they like if there or the bill of rights if there's an amendment that says there should be fun police then yeah, i like, apologize you can have fun but not too much fucking fun mm -hmm. you know don't take that good shit there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the pursuit of happiness that's you what know? i always like to point out that's the mm -hmm. most clever yeah, language yeah it's the pursuit you, know? you can't actually have it you just right. shoot it yeah, yeah they just shrugged their shoulders and said i don't know man go for it <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so let me get off the soapbox here i just want to say i know 
we jumped right in. You, you guys said hello. You got that awesome catchphrase at the top. See that? See, that? I heard that on a on a podcast out there. It's been it's been altered <laughs> a bit, you know, just a little. Yeah. We, well, we don't have a, a Paul Mission Control Deccan around here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I will I will tell him I will tell him that uh, you all said hello. This is like. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity for me. I mean, thank you guys for being generous with so generous with your time. I was doing a little bit of of reading uh, about high on homegrown. Oh shit! And- I hope you found the good stuff. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> well, i i had some I had some uh, cool things. So I found this uh, this panel that you guys do and. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, no, I, I don't want to mess with your show, uh, but I, I do want to hear if, if you've, what are some of your favorite stoner quotes of the weeks past? Ooh, I love a good quote. Mm, mm. I know we have some good ones, man. We haven't done stoner quotes in, in at least a year now. So mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. we have, to, we kind of have to think back at it now. Mm. Oh, I don't want to put you guys on the spot. Uh, you know, the, can... that's, that's like going to the memory reserves and shit. You know, we still have to go for not having a good one of those. Okay. You know? can, I, can I give you my favorite, uh, my, my favorite fictional stoner quote? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's this fantastic little movie called Half Baked starring Dave Chappelle. Oh, yeah. What a fucking awesome movie, man. <laughs> I think Becky kind of knows that one. You fucking love that movie. I love this movie so much. To and- understand Killer the Dog. Yeah, I like so many quotables with that one. And uh, uh, for years after I first saw Half Baked, I was mystified by this one like throwaway line. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but the the bad guy uh, with the crossbow. Samson. Yeah. Samson. Yeah. Samson. Right. The bad guy with crossbow and a weirdly ornate smoking jacket. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. There's a scene right, right at the climactic act of the film where Samson is holding, holding the one guy from the fast food place. He's holding him in a chokehold and he's like, got a gun in his head. Scarface. Scarface. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, not so fast or little Mexican friend here gets it. And the guy goes, I'm Cuban B. And then without a pause, the guy goes, ha, Cuban B. And he's like, he's like, ha, yes, Cuban B. And I don't, I did, I could not figure out like what that meant. Yeah. Was it just that like either. improv? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you could explain it. Is he just say like, I guess his name's Cuban B or what, what's the joke? Uh, yeah. I don't I, know. Do you know? No, I, well, I've got some guesses, but uh, I like that it's a mystery. And sometimes I just go back and watch half baked for that part. Just to try and figure out what the fuck does he mean? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And that, uh, so that's one of my, my favorite uh, stoner quotes, but also half baked is a treasure trove of of great quotes. It's just an amazing fucking film that is. (laughs) (laughs) His name's Buttercup, Butter Stuff, Buttercup, (laughs) Butternuts, Buttercup. I guess you're if, you, cool. if, if you're going to go on half baked, the favorite stoner quote there is fuck you, fuck you, yeah, fuck, yeah, you, yeah. fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, and fuck you. There you go. Epic movie, man. I know. I wonder what happened to that old guy, the one, the only one who was cool. Oh, who just yeah. like he's got like this dead stare, but throws him this emphatic thumb up. Exactly. Tommy Chong was in that movie as well, Squirrel Master. 
He you know? was, yeah, yeah, yeah shower was. scene. Yeah. Oh my I, god! I told you, Nate. If anybody's going to get it, me. It's going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> no, did you guys once, once upon a time, interview Tommy Chong? Oh yeah, he's been on the show like five times. He's a good friend yeah. of the show. He's been he's on coming a few back times, in man. a in a, every other. We got an interview every every. Oh, I'm tongue tied right this minute. Interview every other month with Tommy right now. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm gonna tune into that. And uh, think- we've got somebody in the chat here, just at Steve O for Alt, because this is live to patrons. We only have a few people listening while we do the interviews. But uh, he said, "Who is Ben?" So, <laughs> who is Ben? <laughs> now we're this far in. You want to introduce yourself properly? Sorry. Oh yeah, right. We should have done that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hello, my name is Ben Bolin. I am an executive producer and podcaster. Uh, I do a couple of different shows. Uh, One of the shows I do is called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, which applies critical thinking to conspiracy theories, to allegations of the paranormal, to government cover-ups, to questions about everything from psychic powers to UFOs, to the ancient past, to the bleeding edge of the future. And deep space. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I, uh, I, I guess, I guess this is the part where I'm like legally required to say you can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcast. That's right. That's what we say when we say. Well done. People. I mean, really, yeah. There you go. He's good, and he's good. He's professional at this shit, man. <laughs> Rolled right off his tongue like he's done it a few times. Oh boy, yeah. I, uh, you, you know, it's it's a, uh, it's a pleasure. I love being on. I love being on other shows and I love being able to speak with people who are passionate subject matter experts, because I I feel like you guys are probably the same way. And a lot of us listening today are probably the same way. I love learning new stuff. And I actually wanted to uh, like, I have, I have, so excited to dive into high on homegrown mm-hmm. and learn like learn some expertise because Are i you don't think about taking this hobby up yourself right <laughs> I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, uh, good plan. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy, yeah. Yeah, it's like, what is cannabis? I don't even know what you're talking about. Being in the land, a good choice. Yeah, we know nothing about this. <laughs> right, right. I have no, I have no idea. Um, it's funny though. You know what's interesting is, well, it's interesting to me because I live in the area. I don't know how interesting it is to other people across the planet. But what's interesting to me is that here in in Atlanta recently, the D not quite decriminalization, really the, the charge for possession of marijuana or cannabis below a certain threshold, uh, became essentially a fine, an administrative mm. fine. And it's at the discretion of the officer, which uh, is always kind of a dangerous uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Stupidness. That's just racism mm-hmm. right there. I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. I'll say yeah, it the way right. it is. Well, that's how it works yeah. out, unfortunately. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to ask you, though, because you all are uh, luminaries of a global community that I believe is growing. Uh, not that's not meant to be wordplay. Sorry, guys. Yeah. It was, excuse, it was, the pun. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Uh, but the, the one thing that I'm really curious about, uh, especially pre-COVID, I traveled pretty widely for a variety of reasons, and I was always mystified by, um, I was always mystified by like the ease with which cannabis is around in some places versus other places. You know, like parts of Southeast Asia where possession of anything is a death sentence. You know, uh, mm. they j- just 
upheld the death sentence for in Singapore for a uh, disabled man who was caught with a, a relatively small amount of heroin, I want to say, but they're going to kill him. Wow. And yeah, unfortunately, it does seem to be the case. But like, I, I'm so curious about how Europe regards cannabis in general, not not the governments, but the, the people living there, because, you know, in Japan, getting getting cannabis becomes a uh, a much more complicated endeavor mm -hmm. you know what mm -hmm. i mean because of the way that culture regards that substance so like what what how does europe compare to the us in the way the public thinks of this the public um, i mean it's generational young people say anybody under the age of 50 really is just like yeah weed so much just weed but anybody over 50 or maybe over 60 would be more fair which is, you know, we've got a large aging population in Europe, we're supposed to all over the Western world, really, because you know, everyone's healthy. But them older guys, they they were just brainwashed so much by that propaganda about, you know, just just say no, you know, this is your brain on drugs. I mean, we didn't get them specific adverts over here in the UK and in Europe, but we would have had similar things. And it's just brainwashed people for so long, made them think that, you know, you're going to smoke one cannabis, just smoke one cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> and you you'll go mad and start stabbing everybody and you know playing <laughs> piano really fast and jumping out of windows just one injection of cannabis right yeah. just yeah just one injection of cannabis right right like this this middle schooler injected one marijuana <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and became it became a hitler and someone's like, what? Uh, Be, became a Bigfoot hunter. When I go yeah. back and look at some of those adverts back in the day, oh, man, I still laugh so much. It's crazy. I love the things. Yeah. Some people are still terrified by them, though, you know? Well, I'm sure my mother yeah. was terrified to the day she died. You know what I mean? That, but mm -hmm. she just, you know, she trusted the government. Mm -hmm. That's what people yeah. did back in the day. Oh, the government says. And, I, you know, that's a good point, because I think it's, I, I think a lot of people overall are, increasingly comfortable with questioning the power structures that mm -hmm. we used to take for granted uh, because people have seen their response to uh, to things that are unprecedented in our lifetimes, in our generation. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm caveating that because obviously, you know, um, a few years back, I was looking at the research pre-COVID and it's it was just a statistical certitude that something some kind of pandemic was going to occur. Mm -hmm. We're kind of on schedule for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's the precedent of, you know, the so-called Spanish flu, which is a very unfair name. Uh, but there is like, I think by seeing the way that those in power responded or did not respond to this, people are uh, naturally starting to say, well, maybe they are not as infallible as we were told. Mm -hmm. And maybe not all their ideas are home runs, which I think is a very fair thing to say. Right. Well, I think that more than fair, more than fair. <laughs> Definitely. Well, looking, so at, looking my, at the events yeah. of the last few years, let me ask you this, I'll maybe sway off to a slightly different subject. How do you feel about what I'm, I'm going to refer to as the weaponization of social media? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, it's real. I would say it is a new sphere of asymmetrical warfare, asymmetrical warfare, meaning that like uh, just for examples, like, OK, the U.S. has the world's largest, most dangerous Navy. Mm -hmm. Actually, it has the two largest, most dangerous navies <laughs> and uh, and the uh, 
if you are a country that might be in a, in a battle with the U.S. aircraft carrier, asymmetric warfare is the ingenious process of saying, well, why do we have to spend billions of dollars building our own aircraft carrier when we could just build something that can blow up an aircraft carrier? And that's like, we're saving money, we're saving time. It makes sense from their perspective. Mm -hmm. So social media, because very few people fact check, and, mm -hmm. and that's not a ding. There's just, the brain is not built for this ubiquitous, never ending stream of information. Mm -hmm. We we have sacrificed, like if you picture an X and Y axis, we have sacrificed our depth of knowledge for a range of information that we encounter at a very shallow level. The weaponization of social media is very, very real. It is very, very effective. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to stop unless the private companies that control the faucets of social media mm -hmm. are held to account. Mm -hmm. At this point, they very much are not being held to account because there is a lot of money to be made, right? A lot of that goes back into campaign donations. There is a system to lobbying, but then also the information that they gather via social media uh, is a golden goose to both intelligent services and private industries. Mm -hmm. The people who want to figure out how many of your friends know a criminal uh, and the people who want to figure out how to get you to buy a bidet. <laughs> nobody, yep. Yep. nobody wants the game to stop. Nobody in power really wants that game to stop, or at least the majority of people in power wanted to continue. And does so that means that <clears throat> like, um, like the 50 cent, uh, the 50 cent army, I think it's called in China or uh, Russian troll factories, mm -hmm. the they, troll they, bombs. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. They are able to execute uh, some, some very effective strategies without ever launching a weapon. They're mm -hmm. able to, because what they're doing is they're weaponizing social media, but ultimately they're doing that to weaponize the minds and actions of yep. the audience perceiving it. So I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, it feels weird to talk about it on, on our show. And then at the end of the show, say, what do you think? <laughs> Let us know on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Let us know in the comments below yeah, on you our YouTube channel. All our social you know? media. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's so for me. I, I used to say this thing. I don't say it as often now as I used to. But it'd be like hashtag fuck Facebook because they were shutting down the you know cannabis shit and that. But I'm like, you know, if you like our page on your favorite social media account. You know, <laughs> it's the same yeah. same one. Why, right? Why yeah. do we do this shit, man? But it's, yeah, it's just become so important, and it? it's uh, they're important well, platforms. It doesn't have to be important. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that's fascinating, that always has fascinated me at least, is how quickly things become normal to people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. No matter what this weird thing is, like, you know, okay, any everybody who's lived in a city always knows, like, you, you start to have this mythology of the city. There start to be these eccentric characters everybody knows. So, like, <laughs> here's an example of what I would call classic human. If there was a guy, like if I walked outside today and there was a guy on my street who was dressed as McGruff, I would freak out. That would be crazy. <laughs> but then if I saw him multiple times, then within like two weeks, 
I would just not know. I would just shrug. And mm-hmm. I would be like, oh, yeah, it's fucking McGruff. I don't know. I guess he moved Morning, in. McGruff. Yeah. Morning. Morning, McGruff. <laughs> <laughs> Take a bite out of it, bro. <laughs> and try to high five him. But like, that's that's what's happened with um, social media. And I think it's very for anybody who's a parent, you know, I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's something that you have to hold front of mind because these are the first generations that are growing up native to this and there mm-hmm. are so many things that have become normalized that i loathe uh one of them would be the expectation of instantly replying to people oh jeez, I, I know exactly yeah. my kids oh jeez. oh really hit, they're like you, you, you oh, I, I had one and uh, uh-huh. let's just say you hit a nerve right there because yeah I, I can remember the phone under the table while he's eating with one hand trying to reply that the text messages Holy crap, man. They, they can't disconnect themselves. No, yeah. no. And it, it I force them it, to, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, yeah. I've got young daughters, so I, uh-huh. I want to keep them off social media for as long as possible. Dad, can I, mm. can I have me on Instagram? It's like, no, no, when you're 18, when you're 18. <laughs> and they might say that that's, you know, that that's like tyrannical. But, but it's, it's not fair. All my friends are on social media and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you yeah, you yeah, want to know yeah. how much I give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I find you on social media, I'll take your phone. I don't give it. I'm not. It, that shit's poison, man. It's poison, it poison to the brain. It, it's it hard will damage their self-esteem. You know, mm-hmm. When like when we were all younger, we'd go to school. There were bullies. We were all bullied by somebody, you know, and you'd be able to go home and kind of forget about that shit for a while. If yeah. you're on social media, that's not going away. No, they will keep at it all the day. Of the damn night, you, you know, know notifications are going on. Yeah. You're being bullied in your sleep. That's wait stupid. until you, you know. Wait until the kid is old enough and mentally strong enough to be dealing with the bullshit social media is going to throw at you. Because <laughs> it's not all fun and games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's poison. There, man. Poison. There, there well, well, there's a way. The problem is that it is, it is profitable poison Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's it's easy to roll out technology in some ways uh and there are a lot of advantages to this approach but it's also very difficult to roll that back you know would the world be a better place if instagram and facebook weren't around it's a tough question yeah it's a difficult one isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah because i i mean it first it democratizes communication mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so the same reason that bot armies and disinfo and propaganda are so dangerous it's the same reason that we're able to hear voices and stories that would typically be ignored by existing power structures mm-hmm. right and the problem the problem becomes a matter of educating oneself and edu- like at least learning the basic red flags of propaganda mm-hmm. it, now the now the burden is on us you know it's on us living in this age of social media and i say this as a guy old enough to remember the dial up modem you know and and i i I know we just we just triggered a lot of people listening to this. They're gonna remember that, and hopefully in a good way. Uh, shout out to everybody who still has their AOL CD or whatever that thing was. Oh, but uh, yeah, I had them as coasters for a long time. Uh, but the the reason I'm bringing this up is that I feel like the lid of Pandora's jar 
of social media has been unscrewed. The monsters mm -hmm. are loose. Mm -hmm. There's not a way to, there's not a way to put the gin back in the bottle. You no, know, I'm just mixing metaphors. Left yeah, I right. agree, man. It's completely that. It's, you know, it's Pandora's box. We didn't realize it until we opened it, but it's here now. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we have to stick with and try and figure out how to make work properly. So I don't think we're mm -hmm. there yet. But it's a difficult one because yeah. it's, it's essentially it's somebody's private company become that grows to the extent where it's like a commodity and people oh, need yeah. this thing every day. Like, you know, electricity, if you're running a business, for example, then you'd need to be on Facebook or, you know, you need to be on these social networks. So you have this reach to other customers. But now that private company can just take that off you. If you say something that's out of line and it happens a lot nowadays, you know, there's lots of things oh, yeah. that you're not allowed to speak about on social media and because they'll just shut you down. But it's it, is that an invasion of people's freedom of speech when it's a private company who owns the website? It's right, such a uh, difficult line yeah. to draw. Well, technically, it's technically it's not, which is a shame. But the, you know, I think what we're seeing, and this might <clears throat> this might be crazy, but this is this is where idea. it gets crazy. <laughs> yes, it's where it gets crazy, Becky. This is the idea, and it's something I really believe. I've mentioned it in the past. We are in the midst of a great paradigm change, and it's the change that is happening pretty quickly in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, just like the old cliche about frogs and slowly boiling water, human lifespans are a little too short for us to easily grok what's going on. But so you start out, let's say you're, you're humanity, you start out. You have the first social structure is going to be the family and the family is biologically related and it exists to um, gather resources and to grow itself. <clears throat> then you have the tribe distantly related, larger than a family, have some common things, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the tribe is more successful than the family as long as they can stop as long as they can keep from fighting or killing each other within their group. And then this, then they want to expand to the next thing, but because now you're expanding to the idea of strangers, people mm -hmm. that used to be from other tribes that you fought, you encounter a new governing structure and that is religion. Religion mm -hmm. says, mm -hmm. here is this idea. And this is how you are related. This is how you bond. This is what makes you the same. The next step in that is the state and the state is a brilliant idea. Um, it's, it's not as normalized as people think maybe, but the state says, you know, you don't have to be biologically related. You don't have to be spiritually related. You are related because you are here. And what is good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm -hmm. We will, that's where you have the greater good, but that's okay. So that's where we're at now. We're toward the end of that. We're toward the end of the era of the state. And we're moving toward the neo-feudal era of private industry, of technic, uh, of oh technocrats, God. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. see it happening so, then. Yeah, the U.S. brought to you by ExxonMobil, right? <laughs> or, or, uh, 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 or Ireland, a uh, subsidiary of, you know, Conglomco or whatever. Uh, well, UK from British Petroleum. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And this, like, we, the reason I bring that up and I know I'm babbling here, but the reason I bring that up is because you can see evidence of my theory in the 
roles that tech companies, especially like social media giants, in the in the roles they're occupying in the world of surveillance, in the world of machine learning, in the world of data licensing, I think is the uh, the euphemism they enjoy, mm -hmm. which is selling your personal information when you mm -hmm. use social media, uh, and they're they're doing things that are increasingly verging into what was once the realm of the state. Yeah. So we're seeing private companies do more and more of this. Like they're, the company towns are going to be a thing again in the US. They're building company towns. They're like the Apple town, isn't it? And, and mm. uh, Elon mm -hmm. Musk yeah. like bought that whole place for SpaceX and the whole village mm -hmm. is just where yeah. the, the workers live and shit. So it's already happening. Yeah. Just watch out for the, um, when they start being paid in script, uh, or coupons instead of actual cash. That's when, mm. that's when things are probably in too cryptocurrencies. Yeah, maybe. company crypto. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, oh, company crypto. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I I had no idea about that. What's what's going on? Is that already oh. happening? Well, I suppose Facebook coin could be considered one of those. There you mm. go. Wow. Oh, I'm sure just sooner or later. There's so much money going into crypto right now. Sooner or later, they've got to jump into it. I mean, everybody's yeah. looking at right. Even even the U.S. government's looking at crypto right now. Mm -hmm. yeah, the little dollar signs in their eyes. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's again, it's the <laughs> again, it's the uh, it's that financial motivator. The thing is, humans are ingenious, but humans are also to a great to a great degree uh, predictable creatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. So we already see the established logic, the precedent, the preferred perspective, which is a cost-benefit calculation. Are, are we making more money when drugs are illegal? Mm -hmm. uh, or are we making more money when they are legal and people are paying taxes on them? Uh, and then the question is, are we making more money? Uh, <laughs> are we making more money by playing the crypto game? Or are we making more money by making it bad? Mm. That's like, that's, that's the idea. I mean, you know, drug laws never stop the CIA from making money on the side. Drug laws in the U.S. did not stop, uh, did not stop Western troops from protecting poppy fields <laughs> in Afghanistan. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like the, you have to, as disappointing as it is, uh, we have to admit that people have a lot of grand ambitions and they have a lot of noble ideas, but when the rubber hits the road, they're often chasing a number. Right. That's unfortunately the reality. And mm -hmm. those are still like, I honestly prefer, like, it's like D and it, <laughs> it's like Dungeons and Dragons, right? That's lawful evil. That's their alignment. Right. I personally prefer that because it's predictable they're a lot less dangerous than the people who are motivated purely by ideology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a rational thing, isn't it? For a good person to do a bad thing. No, there's good men and bad men, but for a good man to do a bad thing, it takes religion. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Ooh, quote yeah. Who, whose yeah. quote was that? I can't remember whose quote it was. Uh, Maybe Sagan. Though. No, it was probably Christopher Hitchens. I don't know. I'm not sure. But still, both legendary folk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've, they've got the quotables for sure. You mm -hmm. know, I, th I think they co-wrote Half-Baked, you know, now that you point that out. <laughs> Imagine that. Maybe Sagan did, man. He was a proper stoner. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was he was like the John Stewart character, right? The guy who says, you ever tried that? Oh, yeah. You ever seen the back of a $20 bill? 
If it's back with twenty dollar bill, um, we. <laughs> I love that, uh, but but yeah, I I know our. I want to thank you guys for letting me ramble. I know, like our. This is what we do. Don't worry. This is what we do. Bunch of places, but I hope I have <laughs> a monkey wrench uh, in this conversation. No, this is what we do. We just this is our, our interview format. Really, is we have people just show up and we just have a conversation about whatever comes to mind. Man. Yeah, we, we just get high and some really good gems this way, like yours. This is great, yeah, man. It's Perfect. good, man. Oh, hey, thank you. Back at you guys, and and monkey and Mackie, I do wanna, I do want to ask something that may be controversial in the uh -oh. grow community <laughs> okay yeah okay um and this is a friend asking for a friend that was i was chatting with a while back when i was it's like, a swim hey. post somebody who <laughs> isn't me <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah though no, it actually isn't me but i i like that now i like that one uh so anyway i was asking them i was we were talking about um some case this friend showed me where somebody had a indoors grow operation in their house mm -hmm. and it was in a snowy part of the world. Mm -hmm. And because of the, like, I understand people can sometimes get like show up on law enforcement radar because mm -hmm. they have a higher uh, electricity usage or something. But mm -hmm. this guy uh, in, in this photograph you could see the snow directly over what must have been his grow and his attic. Mm -hmm. You could, you could see it had melted and there was like an oval yeah, of yeah. Uh, absence of snow. And I wanted to ask you guys, is that a real thing? Is yeah, that, that possible? It happens. Yeah. If a grower isn't careful, it's just mm -hmm. too much heat from the lights and not being properly insulated. It's easily avoidable though. You, you know, if it, if a grow is too big, then it's going to be harder to do. But properly insulated grow room with proper extraction, you, you shouldn't have that problem. Yeah. So it's a rookie mistake. Yeah, uh, yeah. but you, it could be mining Bitcoin. It could be a hot tub. It could be so many other things just because the, yeah. the snow is mounted off the roof. doesn't specific, probably is a grow room, but it doesn't specifically mean that. And I don't think like the authorities have got the right to go kicking off people's doors, suspecting uh -huh. if they see that shit. No, but you know what they'll do is I think I smell cannabis, that that mm. line, you know. <laughs> Quick, somebody save the children. Exactly. There's an evil cannabis plant in the house. The kids are gonna die. No, that's so, so it's stupid, so, man. It's so weird too, uh, the idea of of specifically saying the smell of cannabis. And I think the reason they resort to that is because there's not um there's not the same level of field testing that stands up mm -hmm. for marijuana or if you, you know, you wanted to say someone was intoxicated mm -hmm. on, uh, on, on cannabis while they were operating a motor vehicle or whatever language they use, mm -hmm. that's, that's tougher to prove than saying like this guy's breath smelled like booze. And then we gave him a test and yeah, it turned out they had been drinking. You, you can't quite do that. So mm -hmm. I, I, with, with cannabis consumption, partially i think because of the ways in which people can also ingest stuff so yeah yeah it's it's rigged guys yeah. it's all it's all rigged it's all a sham oh, yeah man. yeah you're so <laughs> fucked up man do you consume cannabis yourself or, or would you prefer not to say i've definitely you know what i have no problem with it i definitely Yo, you did but you didn't inhale okay i <laughs> know <laughs> no. none of that none of that half half stepping around it no i loved i i loved I loved 
loved weed when especially when i was younger uh mm -hmm. because uh this may be i don't know if this is the case in other parts of the world like australia or the uk or what have you but in the u.s for a lot of kids if you are under legal drinking age which is 21 here it's actually easier probably for you to find mm -hmm. weed mm -hmm. than it is for you to like try to convince your cool uncle to get you a mm -hmm. six pack or whatever because mm -hmm. drug dealers and asking for id easy no 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 mm -hmm. uh really in my experience uh, a lot of a lot of the drug dealer guys kind of have kind of have a lonely life because people primarily contact them for one thing mm -hmm. so uh, so a lot of um you know i think i can talk about this because statutes pass but you know a lot of times i would just end up becoming friends with people and then i was always kind of a square kid i didn't i was friends with people for several years before i realized that their primary means of income was selling drugs no. <laughs> I, yeah i just i i one i thought i thought one person was just like um maybe he was a trust fund kid or maybe he just like I, I don't know maybe he slipped and fell in a convenience store and he's set for life i don't know he was just always playing video games and i was the person who would hang out with him and play video games and then one day i asked him i said i was like hey man i don't want to get in your business or anything but <laughs> do you have a job and i was like because you're kind of always here mm -hmm. in, in this basement and he said yeah man i have a job he's like i sell weed He's like, why do you think all these people are always showing up? And I was like, I don't know. I thought you had like a, 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 a rich and varied social life. And he was like, yeah, I guess you could say that. But, um, but yeah, so I have, I have no problem. Uh, I have no problem with it. Uh, I don't now I, I'm not one of those people who is like out in the streets protesting. Mm -hmm. Although I do think those people are important for large scale change the reality is now for the majority of people in the US, if you're interested in experimenting with cannabis, trying it for the first time, or you know, you you just yourself really enjoy it and always have, then you can just you can fly or you can literally drive to a state where people are a little more grown up about it. Yeah. And then you'll be fine. The only thing that'll stop you, you know, the, the only thing that'll stop a lot of people is the idea that uh, job requirements or job requirements regarding drug tests. Mm -hmm. But I think that may be set to change too in a lot of fields, because as I'm sure you guys heard, the FBI in particular is having a tough time getting hackers to fight back against those uh, foreign based weaponized social media outfits because the FBI is still like, because here it is, the truth is a lot of the good hackers smoke weed all the yeah, time. Yeah, to sit in front of a PC and have the patience to do that for all them mm -hmm. hours, you gotta be high, man. There's no other way. They, yeah, like all the good ones, this like go back to our boardroom meeting idea and they said <laughs> war on drugs. Somebody was like, we're out of hackers. They say, what? What happened to all those other hackers we're going to hire? They're all high. What? Are all the good hackers high? Yes, all the good ones, sir. All the good ones <laughs> are probably high right now. And, <laughs> and so now they're going to have to, if they want to compete 
in that field, which is an important field of war now, they are simply going to have to figure out something different. As static as a lot of the world institutions seem, we have to realize that in the long game, they are dynamic. They can be changed, and in many cases, they should be changed. Mm -hmm. It's just, it goes back down to that calculus of, are we making more money by letting the high hackers help us out? Or are we losing more money? So that's, unfortunately, I, I don't want to sound too cynical, but that's that's a big part of it. Um, I, I, I don't it's all know, about man. the money. It's all about the, it's undeniably about the money. It, yeah. it's, it's another reason. I mean, we, we didn't even touch on the fact of the, mm. the medical use of cannabis and how it would affect the pharmaceutical industries if cannabis was legalized, where people won't uh -huh. be needing to take as many opioids as they have them. Because a lot of our listeners are medical users and we've had lots of guests mm. who are medical users too. And mm. they, or, well, many of them would say how they were taking a handful of pills before they discovered medical cannabis and now they just smoke medical cannabis and there's a handful of pills every day they, that they don't have to take anymore. I've heard that as well. And I, I do want to say one thing that's really interesting about the, um, I call them the big pharma kind of conspiracy theories. One thing <laughs> is that there's, there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, there's also a lot of, a lot of double think in some ways, because, mm -hmm. you know, um, Yes, it is more profitable to sell a service rather than a one-time cure. That's just true, but it's also true that one-time cures are extraordinarily difficult to make. And if someone did figure that out, like a one-and-done cure for cancer of some sort, then they would be. It would be everywhere in the news. They would want that press. Uh, marijuana, cannabis, if we prefer, is a little bit different because. It is so easy to grow. It naturally occurs in so many parts of the world. Um, it's an alternative that cannot be stopped. Mm -hmm. Simply put, it, it just you can't. Yes, it's going to be a little more, um, a little more sophisticated for someone to grow this plant uh, versus you know making again some like rot gut gin in their bathroom or something, but. But it still can be done with some patience, some know-how, and it doesn't, it doesn't make a rise in crime. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, uh, like, clearly the opioid crisis led to a rise in crime here in the U.S. That was the Sackler family. They are not encountering repercussions for this. And that entire crisis was legal. So the legal drugs are doing more harm. Than, than marijuana, just like you said, with alcohol. I mean, wasn't, um, wasn't fentanyl legal or is it still legal? Is it some kind of opium beforehand? Oh, uh, fentanyl is... Fentanyl. Yeah, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. Right. So it's the purpose-made stuff and it's, it's much stronger than morphine. Morphine is one of those substances where the withdrawal symptoms can actually kill people. So mm -hmm. it's, it gets pretty dangerous. You know, as opposed to like... Um, you know, you can suffer withdrawal symptoms from almost anything. The one thing I would be scared of withdrawing from myself would be caffeine. Caffeine mm -hmm. is the co-host of every show I do. I fucking <laughs> love this stuff. And, and uh, I can't, I probably drink too much of it, but I, I can't imagine a world without it. Anyway, here's what happens. Here's what happens with the opioid crisis. And here's how people got involved in fentanyl, why heroin use spiked. Mm -hmm. So the Sackler family, through their outfit, Purdue Pharma, 
they want to sell more opioids and they are instrumental. This is the story the way I understand it. Uh, they are instrumental in rolling out something called the pain scale, which takes the medical industry by storm. This is, you've seen it if you're in the US, uh, this is where a doctor will ask a patient to self-describe their pain or discomfort on a one to 10 scale. Mm -hmm. And then these uh, medical professionals then are highly encouraged to prescribe opioids, despite knowing that these things do have a high likelihood of uh, becoming addictive mm -hmm. for people, especially people who are predisposed to addiction. So uh, these folks uh, taking the advice of the medical professional that they've been taught to, you know, follow, uh, mm -hmm. they, they take these and in many cases, they end up getting hooked on the legal drug. They try to get a, um, a refill and maybe they do for a few times and that doesn't quite work, uh, as beep. And whenever you hear me beep, I'm editing myself. It's an oh, edit, yeah. Right? You did that earlier. You did. You, yeah, you coughed yeah. and then you said beep. And I was like, that's so we can see the waveforms to edit it out. That's a nice idea. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. It's actually, let me just stop here because I, I do this. So I'm recording with, uh, my, my folks so often and I use the beep so often that it's come into my personal life and it's kind of embarrassing. It's like a nervous tick now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like if you, um, it, it's like if we were all sitting around at uh, the local, you know, sports bar or something, and mm -hmm. one of us made a joke that didn't land and they said, okay, hold on. We're going to take that again. Everybody, everybody, this is, we're taking two. All right. Which I think you should be able to do also. I think that's fine. But uh, anyway, so, so back to this horrible tale, you buy the, and you guys know this, you, you try to get those refills from the same doctor that may work a couple of times, but eventually they say, nope, we're going to have to, um, I don't think they necessarily cut people off right then, but they try to step them down to a lower dosage to right. avoid addiction, or they try to mm -hmm. redirect them to something that's less addictive. If that doesn't work, then the next step is usually going to something like um, a pill mill is what they're called. P-I-L-L-M-I-L-L. -L -L. I have to spell it out loud because I have a Tennessee accent that comes out in words like mill and hill. Uh, so it's, <laughs> I don't want to. Sounded fine to me. Well, oh, he, he, he put a little extra intonation on, the, on that right. you know, enunciation. Yeah. How would it sound with the full accent? Uh, pill mill. Uh, it's a little tougher. And like, I'm not making fun of Tennessee. I'm like from a there. peel meal, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not that far. I mean, you can tell anyway. But oh, here well. in the UK, we have lots of dialects, like 10 minutes from each other. So we learn to live that's with it. so fascinating. I, I've always <laughs> been fascinated by that. And I think that's such a, it's such an amazing thing. Um, I was in the city of London last time I was in the UK and we were... I was fascinated by how weird the city of London is. That's mm -hmm. another, that's another. It's a great place, man. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, so the, these, uh, these pill mills are things where the doctor knows that someone's coming in just to get a prescription for, you know, their given uh, mm -hmm. substance, their opioid. Yeah, yeah. And that works for a while, but then as the addiction continues, people run out of money. They max out their credit cards mm -hmm. or, you know, they have to go to places that only take cash. 
Uh, they maybe in some cases sell or lose assets. And then the system is kind of chewed through them and they have no value to the legal medical system, but they still, they're still chasing that addiction. And then they hit the streets mm. and they start buying, you know, street drugs that, are opioids yeah uh, and, and, and much cheaper than the pills they've been buying from pharmacy yes yeah yeah the only missing step is they'll go to a they'll go to like a drug dealer and they'll say hey i'm looking for you know oxycodone or oxycontin mm -hmm. or whatever yeah and yeah. which they called the hillbilly heroin for a time and then the drug dealer will sell the that to them and then uh that'll be at a premium they'll run out of money and then maybe the dealer says well i can't sell you that but I can sell you this and it's fentanyl or yeah. it's something, something similar. And fentanyl is so much more powerful than, than its predecessors. That mm -hmm. It sounds fucking terribly. I mean, I've only mm -hmm. really heard of this thing over the last couple of years, but it seems like there's some major issues of addiction with that stuff, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's bad. And it's not like a, um, the issue is and we're not, villainizing or vilifying i should say people for struggling with substance abuse problems but the issue is mm -hmm. that without any kind of regulation they don't know what dose is proper for them versus what dose will mm -hmm. kill them yeah. and that's why you know one thing they're doing here in atlanta is they're they're training first responders and, and police as well to use uh narcan which is a, uh, a way to interrupt or prevent death from overdose on opioids. Right. And, and fentanyl went through here like a storm um, not very long ago. I, I, I've read multiple stories of people, uh, of people dying because they took, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, I think it was they were taking cocaine that had been laced with fentanyl. Uh -huh. And I don't, I don't understand that, but... I guess maybe they're just trying to cut cut mm -hmm. the cocaine to save money or make more money. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Well, I don't want us to end on a down note like that, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's very real. Um, it, it is very real. It is something that it's just there's it's just more arguments to why we need to properly regulate and legalize this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, exactly. That's I, I think that's if any reasonable person being completely objective looked at the lay of the land, they would come to the same conclusion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If, mm -hmm. if the goal really is to save people's lives, then yep. there should be uh, the prohibition stuff should be replaced with a different sort of system. If the goal is to prevent the rise of cartel violence and in many cases, the rise of terrorists, mm -hmm. then uh, eliminating prohibition policies hamstrings them. It mm -hmm. removes their power yeah. because they're one of the primary sources of income is, uh, is trading in illicit goods. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. That's it's, it's massive, yeah. man. It's massive. The effect of the, the whole war on drugs has had, and it, you know, instead, uh, it's spread out into other things as well. There's more crime that exists because of the war on drugs. It's not just about drugs, you know. There's people trafficking that happens because of it. There's money laundering that happens, you know, like killings, murders, all, all because of the drug, the drug laws and the war on drugs. If it was properly regulated and properly controlled, there'd be so much less crime. 
and they'd be much more helpful people who need it. It's all people with substance abuse issues and addiction issues. You know, it's, nobody ever wants to become an addict of anything and anybody who is one would at some point realize that they need help and they'll go looking for it. And if it's illegal and you can be prosecuted for looking for it, then people are not going to go out and then ask for help when they need it, are they? These are all things that we need to change, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get there one day. But one day. The longer it takes, the more people are going to suffer and the more people are going to die because of people's ignorance. Well, also, you know, as civilization continues to collapse, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we just loosen up on some of these weird rules and, and don't sweat mm-hmm. the small mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, that's like classic human too, right? Mm-hmm. It'll be something like... Um, it would be something like the new president uh, declares that uh, th- these drugs will be decriminalized and also apologizes for the disappearance of whales. You know, like, uh, <laughs> like it'll just get increasingly surreal and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we're here mm-hmm. for the ride. So let's, oh, let's see. Yeah. Let's hope it ends on a good note. Um, guys, yeah. I massively appreciate the time. I'm so sorry. I got to, I got to go. No, to, that's um, cool. We've Way already kept you. Call. Well, we've had you here for ages now. We appreciate your time. I know you must be massively busy with the amount of stuff you have to do for your show. Oh, we're uh, it's it's a blast. It's gonna be if I if I can make recording today be as fun as it was to chat with you guys and meet you. <laughs> then mission accomplished. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me, man. No, thank you for coming and speaking to us, man. We come appreciate back it. anytime. Too, Pretty man. much, yeah. Come back anytime. Oh, I'll take You're you up welcome. on it. You know, if you get yourself get... a little baggie or something, come and hit some shit, come and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> we can either, we'll neither confirm or deny that. Yes. Right. <laughs> and that's where we All right. Thanks so much, guys. Have a yep. great weekend. Very cool, right. Ben. Bye, Thank man. you very much, man. We'll speak soon. Later, Ben. Goodbye. There you go. Ben Bowens. Told you it'd be a cool interview, everybody. Told you. There we go, everybody. That was Ben Bowling from Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. Yeah, super cool podcast, man. So go and check that out. Just search for Stuff They Don't Want You To Know up on your favorite podcasting network and you'll find it there. They cover just about everything you need to know about conspiracy theories and things like that in a rational way. They don't just believe that birds aren't real and things like that. So it's it's a real cool show and I recommend it to everybody. Go and check it out. I guarantee you'll like it. Uh, Also, these guys have a book coming out very soon at the end of the year in October, around October time. They should be having a book called Stuff They Don't Want You To Know also being released. So keep an eye out for that in the future as well. But anyway, that's the interview for this week. And I'm thinking maybe I'll release an extra special interview on Saturday. But that just depends on how my week goes. If I'm busy on Saturday, I won't be able to do it. But if I'm free and I have the time to, then I do plan to get an extra special interview out this week. So you have an extra episode. I'll try. I'll try. I'll do my best. But for now, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you on Friday for the Grow Guides. Uh, Stay high. Stay safe. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll catch you then. And if we don't see you on Friday, I hope we see you on Sunday for the live show over on YouTube.com slash High and Homegrown. Nice. See you later, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Goodbye.